and I will explain that shortly. Uh, we are going to dismiss our young people to the upper room uh, for time in the Word of God. So you can go ahead and head on out, young people, right now for a time in the Word for you as we dig into the Word ourselves here. So they're making their way. We, as I already said, it just was really a great week of meetings. I want to thank everyone who's part of the choir, who was part of taking care of kids in the nursery, whatever. If you had a part in service, if you were here, your attendance, uh, just thank you for being part of our meetings this past week. Uh, it was a great blessing. Started with our friend day last Sunday. Uh, tremendous, uh, tremendous message in the morning. You know, when someone says turn to John three sixteen. Um, your first thought is, wow, I've heard messages on that, you know, like a zillion times. Uh, but the message was so practical last Sunday morning and the truth. And in fact, there's a lot of people who have John 3.16 memorized that, that aren't even saved, aren't even part of the family of God. Uh, so simple, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And uh, it was just wonderful to be reminded, wasn't it? And uh, to just know that God doesn't want anyone to perish. If men perish, it's their own choice. And that God so loved the world that he sent his son. He gave his only son to die for those who are perishing, for those who are sinners, who need, who deserve God's wrath, but they need his love. And he died on the cross for their sins that they might have life. And that was a, it was just a great start to the meetings to be able to hear a message about that and encourage a number of visitors and friends uh, to come to Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him and you're, you're here today, you need Jesus Christ. He came for the reason of, of dying on the cross for your sins that you might have life. And I hope that you will receive him today. So we heard that. We heard a lot about God's holiness this past week. You say, I, I did, wasn't here. So, all right, I'm kind of giving you a review then if you missed some of that. There are a lot about God's holiness. And, and those who are part of the family of God who have been saved have been challenged to live right. And uh, I was really thankful. I needed some of the messages myself. I'm, I'm very grateful. Um, uh, you know, I'm thankful some of the things we were doing, but some of the things were sharpened in my life. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful for the preaching of God's word. And today, I want you to see a guy whose testimony at the end of his life, and this is why I have you in, uh, in 2 Kings, the testimony at the end of his life was a tremendous testimony. Now, if someone is going to have the kind of testimony he did, and we'll read about in just a moment, it's going to take more than just a guy who just happened to have a relationship with God. It's going to take diligence and work. And today, because of the meetings that we had, I'd like to focus, I'd like to look at this guy and see what helped him to come to the end of his life where they could say about him he lived a godly life. He had a wonderful testimony. His name was, he was a king of Israel, his name was Josiah. And I'd like you to see about him. It's in 2 Kings chapter 23 and verse 25. These words are said about this king at the end of his life. And like unto him... There was no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to all the law of Moses. Neither after him arose there any like him. That is quite a testimony, isn't it? You think about it, man, that someone could say that this guy lived such a godly life. All the way up until, I mean, before there were kings that lived, and they don't even measure up. There are kings that came after, and they don't measure up either. Josiah lived wholly for God, and I would like you to see his life. Now you say, all right, we're going to look at this passage. No, we're not. So now that you're there, turn to 2 Chronicles 34, would you? 2 Chronicles 34. Because it's in 2 Chronicles 34, we are going to be challenged and we're going to see about his life. And I hope it'll be of help to you today. Because the thing is, godly living doesn't just happen. It's not an accident. If you're saved and part of the family of God, 
there are things that need to happen in your life if you're going to have the testimony that Josiah did at the end of his life, that he lived for God, that his life counted. And I love the way the Bible takes time to share with us a number of things about his life today that will help us. And I think after a week of meetings where we are challenged to live for God, a lot of times decisions are made, and then what happens is those decisions just sort of go out the door. You know, well, we try for a week or two weeks or three weeks, and maybe things move along a little bit, but then kind of things just peter out and die. And so I'd like to encourage you by the life of Josiah uh, to learn how to live a consistent Christian life and make progress for the glory of God. And it's very fitting at the end of a week of meetings, and it's very fitting anytime for Christians to be challenged about how to live for God on a daily basis. So now that I introduced everything and told you everything that's going to happen today, let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing, all right? Father, we need your help this morning to understand uh, the truths about Josiah's life that can help us in our lives today. I'm thankful that you gave us the Old Testament for our learning. And that there are many in the Old Testament we can learn from. Negative examples, people that we shouldn't follow and things we shouldn't do. But I'm thankful that there are good examples uh, like Joseph and David. And then we come to Josiah today. And I'm thankful that we can look at lives like this and we can learn how to walk with God and how to have a right relationship with God and how to, to get to the place at the end of life where people will look back and say, that was a godly man, that was a godly woman. And I'm asking you today to work in our hearts and help us to understand the truth of Scripture. If there's anyone here without Jesus Christ, I pray that today they'd be saved because that's what you desire from them. For those who know you, I pray this would be a day of decision and maybe determination to follow through with the decisions that were made this week, or if not, just to, to live for God and have the testimony like Josiah did. And I'll thank you for what you'll do and how you'll bless in Jesus' name. Amen. You're now in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, correct? Because it's in 2 Chronicles 34 we learn about his life. The Daily Bread had a devotional, and uh, here's how it started. It said, some people are demanding that the high school football coach in their community be fired. And here's the reason why. Team doesn't have a winning record. Well, that's not surprising, is it? If a team doesn't ever win, you want to do something. Well, according to a mother of one player, they object not to the fact that they don't have a winning record, but they object to his demand that his players, get this, don't cheat, play dirty, or try to take out an opposing player by hurting him. I'm told that some coaches expect their players to do that to do whatever they think they can get away with to win a game. Now, the primary concern, according to many coaches, or at least many people, is to escape the eyes of the referees. Well, the guy who wrote this devotional said, personally, I like the emphasis of the coach who was being criticized for having high standards. He's a Christian. He wants his players to know that they're being observed by a much higher authority, one who sees everything, even what the referees miss. The Bible tells us that Josiah, according to the article, did what was right in the sight of the Lord. I want you to see that again. Look in verse 2 of 2 Chronicles 34. And he did that which was right, in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. He concluded the devotional by saying this, Undoubtedly, many people criticized him bitterly for tearing down their religious shrines, but that mattered little to him. He was more concerned about doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. So today, and every day, Let's make it our aim to do what is right in the eyes of an, our invisible and all-important observer in heaven because that's what matters most. And he was exactly right. Why is that important? Well, we could take time this morning and that could be a message in itself. 
we could go to the New Testament and we can find numerous passages where God reminds us that we will all give account to God. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about the fact that everyone who knows Jesus Christ will someday stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Not to determine whether they go to heaven or hell because that's determined by whether someone accepts or receives Jesus Christ as Savior or not. But the, the uh, judgment of Christians is going to be their works and the things that they do. In fact, uh, 1 Corinthians 3 deals with that. Uh, many other passages do. Romans 14 has a very uh, straightforward statement. Verses 10 to 12 say this, But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself unto God. You know what's amazing to me? When God gives account of Josiah in the, in the Old Testament, he says, this man walked with me. You get to the end of your life. If God would say that about you, you are in good shape, my friend. And that's what God, you should desire in life. So how is it going to happen? How do we please God and how can we please God? Well, let's look at this man and let's learn from him today. He accomplished, first of all, a prodigious feat. We use the word prodigious, by the way, and you don't even know what it means because it fits the alliteration, right? You don't know. You heard the word before. You don't know what it means. That's what happens when you try to alliterate things all the time, all right? So let me tell you what it means. It actually means wonderful or marvelous, and sometimes it can mean abnormal, and quite honestly, as you look at Josiah's life, it's kind of amazing that Josiah lived for God at all. Because as we've been learning in our Sunday school class over and over for a number of weeks now, uh, that uh, the kings that were before him did not necessarily walk with God. In fact, if you were to read the guy before him, uh, which actually was his father, uh, he was killed. And he was not at all a godly man. So look, if you would, at verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem one and 30 years. Now, that doesn't mean all that much to you. I know. I understand that. But verse 1 tells us that his life started out in a very unique way. How many do you know that were made king of a, of a country at age 8? That's kind of strange, isn't it? All right, there's a reason why it happened. The reason why it happened is what I just told you. His father had been killed. His father took over the kingdom after, uh, uh, after his father uh, ruled and passed away. And so he was made the ruler of the land, and he ruled for two years. And some of his uh, men, in fact, you can look at it in verse 25 or verse 24 of chapter 33. And his servants conspired against him, Amnon is, was his name, and slew him in his own house. And the people of the land slew all them that had conspired against King Ammon. I'm sorry, I didn't say Ammon. I shouldn't say Amnon, Ammon. And the people of the land made Josiah, his son, king in his stead. So here's a guy that accomplished something amazing. He lived for God, but get this, his father hadn't. And the situation in which he finds himself, he is made king of a land when he's eight years old. I, I don't know about you. Do we have any eight-year-olds? We don't have any eight-year-olds in here. Yeah, we have some that are, that are older than that. Could you imagine someone being made king of a country when he's eight years of age? Now, think about all that would come with that, and think of the, the privilege that would come with that, and being able to do whatever you want. How many eight-year-olds are ready for something like that? <laughs> How many 20-year-olds are ready for something like that? How many 40-year-olds are ready for something like that? So here's a guy that is put in a position that, quite frankly, he could have anything he want. He could do anything he want. He, he wanted. Uh, he, had, uh, he would have uh, great power to maybe fulfill any desire he wanted, and yet he was a young man who ended up living for the Lord. Isn't that an amazing thing? You really think about it. Here's a guy at eight years of age. He could have anything he wanted, basically, as a king, and yet he chose to live for God. He could have gone any way he wanted and done anything probably he wanted ultimately, 
but he chose to walk with God. And that's why I say it's a prodigious feat. It really was. It's a wonderful thing. It's a marvelous thing that a guy who was put in such a position at an age when, by the way, he wasn't expecting it. Some people are reared for that. They're trained for that. In fact, he probably would have been. But at age eight, he wasn't expecting to be made king because he would have expected his father to live for probably 10, 15, 20 years, 30 years, maybe even 40 years. Have no idea. He probably, in most cases, would have been made king when he was 30, 40, something to that effect. But no, here's a guy thrown into a position like that, and yet he still chose to live for the, for the Lord. And you know what's also amazing to me? And we don't have time to read about it. Chapter 33 will tell you that his grandfather did not live for God at all. His father did not live for God at all. Didn't serve God in any way. You know, I've heard people tell, tell me before, well, you know, if I had a better past, if I didn't have this in my past, if I didn't have this, if I didn't have the kind of family, if I didn't grow up in the kind of home I did, I would serve God today. You know what Josiah does to that? He just blows that out of the water. Look, whether you live for God today or not, has nothing to do with what's happened in your past. Whether you live for God today is a decision that you're making today, and you can make it, and you can live for God. And that's what we find about this guy. Here's this young man, eight years of age, thrown into a position that he wasn't ready for, he wasn't expecting, and, uh, and certainly would have been a great blessing or been, been a lot more helpful if it had been about 10 or 15 years later when he had time to be trained and everything else. But thrown into that position, a position where he had seen his father live a godless life, seen his grandfather live, if you would, a godless life. Now, his grandfather did get things right toward the end of his life, and maybe he observed that, but his grandfather died when he was six, so I doubt he had a lot of influence from his grandfather. So here's an eight-year-old kid made king of a country who made the decision he was going to live for God. Isn't that an amazing thing? I don't know about you. And by the way, I've heard people say this. Well, I'm going to serve God later in life. Josiah didn't do that. Eight years old. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And we see through his life. In fact, it's laid out for us beautifully in this chapter how he followed through and did that which is right. You know, I, I, I put this down, and I, I probably shouldn't have. If you were a bookie in Josiah's day, okay, we're not, we're not into that, all right? But if you were a bookie in Josiah's day, and someone came saying, I, I, I'm going to place a bet on whether Josiah will be a good king or a bad one, whether he'll love God and serve God or not, what do you think the odds would be? You know, 50 to 1, 75 to 1, you would have made good money. I want, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, he's going to live for God. I don't know if they were bidding in that day, and you shouldn't do it anyway, but, you know, you would have thought, no way is this guy going to live for God. But he did, and he had this wonderful testimony, a prodigious feat. He made a personal decision. Look again at verse 2. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, uh, by the way, how young was he? Come on, do the math. All right, eight when he took over the kingdom, eight years later, we see him start. So at age 16, he's making some decisions, some important decisions in his life. And here we go again. Wait, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live for God later on. I'm gonna live it up now. I'm gonna have a good time in life. Not, not Josiah. Here's a 16-year-old guy making a decision that I'm gonna serve and I'm gonna live God. When in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after God, the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. Eight years of age, he takes over the kingdom. Eight years later, God is working in his heart, and he says, you know what? I'm going to seek after the Lord with all my heart. And he does that. Four years later, he starts to really take some action and turn things around as far as the country is concerned. So he made a personal decision. The decision was, I am going to please. Please, God. He had a bad example. He had a bad, if you would, a bad grandfather and a bad father who weren't the right examples. He had a bad situation where he's just thrown into a kingdom and he's totally unprepared for it. But here is a guy who said, I am going to live for God. 
And that, my friends, is a tremendous testimony to us. And it reminds us of this. You don't have to have a good past. You don't have to have good situations in life to live for God. By the way, you don't have to wait until you're 20 or 30 or 40 years of age to live for God. You can live for God as a young person. You can make the choice to live for God, and, and you can be an 8-year-old and do that. If the Bible is true, you can be a 16-year-old and you can make a choice that you're going to walk with God. You can be a 20-year-old and make the choice that you're going to serve God. And that's what the Lord wants from us. Uh, it's an amazing thing. You look at what it says again. He did that which was right. And this is not in the sight of all men. He did it in the sight of who? Look, this is God's testimony. Think about this. God's looking at this young man. And he says, he did it right in my sight. I don't, I don't know about you, but, you know, you, you can fool people. But you can't fool God. You can. You can fool people. Yeah. You, you can pull things over on your parents. Now, I'm not encouraging you to do that. I'm getting in trouble. I'll talk about bookies and I'll talk about getting away with things with your parents. It's just not a good day today, you know? You know you're, you're not supposed to be involved with either thing, but you can. I mean, you can fool your parents. I, we, we, we still, you know, <laughs> we were telling stories years after about things that happened. We made sure there were a lot of years between what happened and everything, but, you know, it, we would tell our parents we would be laughing as we meet as a family. We'd be laughing about stories of things that happened when we were kids. Do you remember when this happened? And my mom and dad would be sitting there saying, I didn't know that happened. I didn't know that happened, man. You would have been worn out. I know that was, I would have been in trouble. I would have been in serious trouble. Come on, how many parents have had that happen where your kids, as they're starting to get old, start older, start talking about the things that they got away with? And it's like, you did that. You did that. And, and, you know, I, I mean, I told those stories and my parents were like that. Uh, it's happened to us, too. You know, my wife and I would be, and the kids would say, yeah, we did this. Like, you did that? <laughs> I would have killed you. All right, you got away with something. We can pull the eyes over people. We can't pull eyes, wool uh, over God's eyes. We can fool people. And what is so amazing in this passage is that, that God said of this guy, he walked in my ways. He's following my path. He's doing that which is right. So he made a personal decision that he was going to please God. You notice this as well. We're told he walked in the ways of David. What were the ways of David? David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man who also made the choice to walk with God. By the way, he blew it at one point. We know that, which, which the truth is no one's perfect. But here is a guy who said, hey, look, I do have an example. It's a far example in the past, but that's one I want to follow. And he walked in the ways of David, his father. It's kind of interesting. He ignored his, his immediate father. He ignored his grandfather. He looked to his great, 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 or whatever it would be, grandfather, and said, I'm going to learn about him. I'm going to see what he did. And I'm going to walk in that way. Isn't that an amazing thing? Again, it's, what's amazing about it is most often people follow in their dad's steps or they might follow their grandfather. But for someone to look back at, at someone way back and say, that guy walked with God and I want to pattern my life after that. And then that God will look at him and say, wow, here's a man who made the decision to live for me and he did. He made the choice he was going to please God. Notice another statement which might, should be our goal. Look at the end of verse 2. He need, declined neither to the right hand or to the left. Uh, I was trying to think how to describe this, and a story came to mind. I, when, I was, uh, when I was growing up, our Christian school played uh, ball games with other Christian schools. Sometimes we would have trips. Well, most all our trips were you know, road trips. We'd have to go a long distance or whatever. And most of the time, parents would be available to take us and would you know, throw, throw a bunch of the players and, and, uh, and other people that were involved uh, in their vehicles, we'd make the trip. But one time, they didn't have enough parents to go, and so they got two older teenagers, upperclassmen, to drive. Uh, I was one of those that was driving. Um, oh, that was cool, you know. That was like, ooh, yeah. And then there was a young lady that was driving as well. And the young lady was in front of our vehicle, and we were driving down the road, and, uh, and one, of the, one of the guys in the car uh, with me made a comment. He said, have you noticed the way she drives? 
we're not making fun of girls here, okay? There wasn't any problem with, she wasn't doing anything wrong. But it was, he noticed something that was really unique. And we all said, no, no, no. He said, watch. And so we did. And as we were driving down the road, you know this, don't you? That most of the time, cars are, you know, kind of going back and forth within their lane. Well, actually, today, no one's paying attention. They go over the lines. I understand that. I get that. All right. But most of the time, people don't drive extremely straight. Okay, it's just true. You, you, you move the wheel somewhat back and forth. You, you don't know that? Watch, observe. People go back and forth in the lane. That's why they have to have a little bit of room in the lane. But this girl didn't. I don't know how she did it. I don't know whether she just was like, <laughs> okay, holding the wheel like this. But she drove straight. I'm talking about straight. As, as in, you know, we're, we're going back and forth because you just naturally do that. You keep making corrections. But she wasn't. As you watched her car, it was just like straight as an arrow. And we all marveled because you could see the cars in front of her that were doing But she was just going straight. And the only thing I can say is that either she was petrified or whatever, but she was just holding that wheel, and she wasn't moving at all whatsoever as she was going straight down the road. And I think that's a good way to describe and understand this picture. She wasn't at all going to the right. She wasn't going to the left, doing what, by the way, most people do. And what a lot of people naturally do, she was just going straight. No, no deviations. I don't know about you, 16-year-old guy who wasn't deviating, an 8-year-old who was living for God and wasn't deviating from the left to the left or right. That's an amazing thing. Here's a guy just lived for the Lord completely. He made that decision. He decided that he was going to please God. He decided he was going to pursue God. In verse 3, for in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David. So he's 16 years of age, and he makes this decision to seek after the God of David. Now, again, think about that. How, how many do you young people do you know at age 16 that have such a heart for God that they begin earnest search of God. I've known a few. And I got to tell you, it's a wonderful blessing when you see something like that. When you see a young person who says, I am going to serve God. I'm going to seek after God. Do you know the word seek can mean a couple things? One, and it's, in, it's, it's translated, or at least the understanding is, is clearly two things. It could mean to inquire. And I love that picture. It could mean that that's the way this word is, the word is being used here. He began to inquire after God. He had questions. What is God like? What does God want? What does God desire? What would God do? Uh, how does God think about this? So it could mean when it says that he began to seek after God, that he began to ask questions about God that are good questions that made him think about what what God is like and what God would want. And by the way, if he did, there's no doubt he had to get into this book and find out what it, what it has to say because this book tells us all about God. It tells us exactly what God likes, what God doesn't like, what God is like. And if he had inquiry, he certainly was spending time looking into the word of God and saying, what is God like? Okay, get this, 16-year-old. Pulling out a Bible saying, what is God like? I want to be like him. I want to know what makes him happy. I want to know what makes him angry. I want to live for God. Quite a testimony. Quite a, quite a testimony indeed. He was going to pursue after God. So one means to inquire, ask him, ask of God. And uh, what a great message for today. God wants you to seek him. He wants you to learn about him. The other way this word is used, it means to tread about, to follow, or to pursue. And I think probably uh, in this context, that would probably be the way it was understood or intended to be understood. In other words, he went looking for God and he found him. Like a police officer in hot pursuit of a criminal, this guy was in pursuit of God. And it made a difference in the way he lived. He went after God. What a beautiful picture. 
He began to search for God. He began looking into God and learning about God so he could change the direction of his life. And then he began, if you would, pursuing after that. Maybe both were intended here. But that was his life. That's why in in 2 Kings, we come to the end of his life, you can say he lived life pleasing God. And there was no one like him. So the truth is, Josiah is a tremendous example. But what I love about this chapter, as I was reading through Chronicles not too long ago, is that Josiah really pictures the Christian life. You, you read through this chapter, and you're going to do it on your own sometime because we, we can't read it all, and you're going to pay attention to what I have to say, and then you're going to go and read it sometime. But you look at Josiah, and not only did he make a decision and make a choice that he was going to please God, but Josiah as well, we find in this passage, made progress throughout his life. And by the way, this is one of the reasons why I think this chapter is so good for us today. Because revival, a lot of times, is making the decision, I'm going to please God. It's coming to the place where I understand, hey, look, God is a holy God. He is different than me, and I need to be like him. And I, I, I inquire after God, and I begin to seek after God. And that is a wonderful thing. And if you haven't done that and you aren't doing that, that's what God desires of your life. God tells Christians, those who are part of the family of God, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So a Christian today, those who know Jesus Christ, should be doing the same thing Josiah did. But what is great about the chapter is that we learn how he did it. And here it is. It was a matter of progress. Christian life is not, I'm perfect today, and I'm going to be perfect the rest of my life. The Christian life is all about making changes in our life. It's progress. It's about coming to a place of decision. I am going to seek God. And by the way, some of you made that decision this past week. The Lord worked in your heart. And if he hasn't worked in your heart yet, then maybe today he will work in your heart because I'm sure that's what he wants if you know him. I'm going to seek after God. I'm going to make that my desire. If an eight-year-old guy can do it, and if a 16-year-old guy can make a a choice that he's going to live for God, I can. And I'm going to make that decision in my life. Well, as we look at him, we see a guy who progressed throughout life. Look in verse 3. In the eighth year of his life, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David. And he continued to do that throughout his life. It's evident. So at age 16, he does this. When he's 20, he begins making visible changes. Look, if you would, at, um, uh, let's see, in the 12th year, in the middle of verse 3, and in the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places, the groves and the groves and carved images and the molten images. And they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence and the images that were on high above them. He cut down and the groves. And by the way, if you look at this chapter, it's he did it. He didn't just send out his men to go get rid of the groves. He went out and he takes the, he takes the axe to these groves and he knocks these things down that, that people were worshiping because they were worshiping the wrong thing. And so here's this guy who makes progress in his life. His consecration was progressive. He moved closer to God by steps and not bounds. Look, sometimes, sometimes people make decisions at camp, at revival meetings, at special services and other things. And it's like they live with this all or nothing mentality. Do you know what I mean by that? It's like, okay, they get convicted. Let's say they get convicted about reading their Bible. Okay, they haven't been reading the Bible. They're Christian. They read their Bible maybe once a week, maybe twice a week. They get convicted about it. So they make a decision. They say, God, I need to, to, to do that. How about being a witness? I need to be a witness, Lord. So, so what happens? Well, like, we're gung-ho about it. Woo! Gung-ho, you don't hear that word all that often either anymore. You know what that means? They're excited about it, all right? They're like, man, we're going to really go for it. We are gonna, we're going to read our Bible every day, and we're going we're gonna to start taking tracks. And then they, they find after, you know, a, a week or two or three, or maybe after a couple days, they blow it. It's like, yeah, well, I tried. 
when you read through this chapter, you, you see a guy who just kept at it. And he wasn't Joe Spiritual at age eight. He wasn't Mr. Spiritual at age 16, nor at age 20. He wasn't even at 28. He was making progress. And it's beautiful. If you read through this chapter, you just see a guy who was making steps to become more like Jesus Christ. And can I tell you that that's what Christian life is supposed to be all about? It's, it's okay, does God want me to read my Bible every day of the week? Yes. But, and, and is God going to accept the fact I had it three days this week? Well, no, he wants it seven. But if you had it three days this week and, and the week before you didn't read your Bible at all, that's progress. And when you look at Josiah, he wasn't spiritual overnight. It actually was a matter of years. And that only happens when someone makes a decision and then they just keep following through and keep working at it. So look, I'm going to read my Bible. And you find that this next week, as you, you decide you're going to read your Bible on a daily basis, that on Tuesday you blow it. Okay, this is really deep, all right? Confess it as sin and get up, back up on Wednesday morning and read your Bible. And, and don't accept this idea that, well, if I can't do it every day, I'm not going to do it any day. Because that so often happens with Christians. Well, I blew it. I didn't witness to anyone today, and I had a goal to give out a track every day. I'm praying for someone now. We were challenged about that on Friday night. I'm praying for someone uh, to, to be saved, and I'm concerned about their soul, and I'm going to seek to do something about that a specific individual that I, I know needs to be saved. Okay, so if there's some failures along the way, look, consecration is a progressive thing. You're not going to be there overnight. Look, if you would, it, again, in verse 3, it was the eighth year he began to seek God. In the twelfth year, he began to purge out the places in his own area where the worship of false God is practiced. And we find that in verse 3. Look in verse 6. And so did he in the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon, even unto Naphtali with their mattocks round about. And when he had broken down the altars and the groves and had beaten the graven images and the powder and cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. So here's a guy. Started in, when, when he's eight, he makes some real progress at age 16, at age 20, he's living for God. And he just makes this, he take, starts taking steps to purge the land of things that are wrong. And then he goes to other cities. So we just see this progress of life. And you know, the next time we see him, the next time we see him in verse 8, it's the 18th year of his reign. But he's still living for God. He's still serving God. And he takes some steps then to move things along. So his consecration was progressive. His response was positive and purposeful. 18th year, he's 26 now. He begins cleaning up the temple and repairing the place of worship, which was just another step in his walk with God. And do you know what? During the cleanup, you know what they found? This is interesting because, you know, I was saying he, he, he probably read the Bible. They found a Bible, and he had never seen it. So get this. This is an amazing thing. He served God without having the benefit of a Bible in front of him. D does anyone find that amazing? It wasn't until he's 26 when they found a Bible, and when they read it, he said, we haven't been doing this. We're going to be judged of God. And he was like, it seemed totally shocked. So, I mean, that's, that's also another challenge, isn't it? But his response was just positive and purposeful. So, all right, God, what's the next step? What do I need to do now? And then when the Bible comes out in verse 14, when they brought out uh, the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found a book in the law of the law of the Lord given by Moses, and he read it to him, and then he takes some steps there. Now, he wasn't perfect. You know, he died in chapter 35, verses 20 to 25, because he made a wrong decision. So Josiah wasn't perfect, but he was one who was making progress in his life. And I love it because he took just positive action. 
look if you would. Let's, let's take a look now, starting in verse 8, and just take a few minutes, can we? And let's look at his life. In the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaph and the, and, uh, the son of Azaliah, and yeah, sees different guys, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of jo, jo, Joahaz, I, don't, I love these names, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. And so they, they did that, and they collected money and other things. In verse 14, they found the law of the Lord, right? Verse 15, and Hilkiah answered and said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah delivered the book to Shaphan, and Shaphan carried the book to the king and brought the king word back again, saying, all that was committed to thy servants they do, and they have gathered together the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered into the hand of the overseers, into the hand of the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath given me a book. They're like, hey, we found a book. And he read it before the king. And it came to pass, verse 19, when the king heard the words of the law, that he rent his clothes. You see a guy just sensitive to the word of God. So, so let's, let's walk through it, okay? First, we find he's 26 years of age. The Bible is pulled out. It's read. The Bible is read, and he repented. No hesitation. <coughs> no, I'll take care of that someday. Now, I know I live to, need to live for God, but I just kind of enjoy what I'm doing right now. No. No, when the Bible was read, when he heard the words of the law, he rent his clothes. Now, um, I, I, you know, I'm glad we don't practice that today. It would kind of be interesting. Go through a lot of suits that way, wouldn't you? You know, every time you get convicted about preaching, just rip your clothes. But that was a sign of, of mourning. It was a sign of sincerity. It was a sign that someone understood, hey, look, I haven't been doing right. And the people haven't been doing right. And we need to serve God. Now, again, he's 26, and he's been living for God for years already. But he still, when the Bible was open, was under conviction. And by the way, let me tell you something. This is, uh, this, uh, this is so fitting to our day and what happens in Christianity even today. You know, some people, after they've been saved for a while, it's like trying to beat someone over the head to get them to respond to the truth of God's word. And sometimes people get hardened to the truth of Scripture. But here's a guy at age eight, he was sensitive. At age 16, he began seeking after God and he really gave some, some uh, earnest attention to this. At age 20, he started taking steps to move along and progress. Then he starts, and, and at age 26, as they're, they're cleaning out the temple because he's still making progress in his Christian life. And someone reads the Bible at age 26 and he feels so convicted that he tears the clothes off his body to just show how sincere he is that I have violated God's law and I've got to do something about it. And I'm telling you, friends, as, as those who know Jesus Christ as Savior, we need to stay sensitive to Bible truth no matter how long we've been saved. There's never a time in your life, I don't care how old you are, where you are, you are beyond doing things in your Christian life and being convicted by the Word of God. The Word of God, has, it takes a lifetime to follow. So we always need to be sensitive to and, and open to and willing to say, okay, God, what do you have for me now? You know, most people would have said, yeah, I'm kind of happy about how things are going. I mean, look, at 88, I started serving God. Josiah could have said that. Age 16, man, I was seeking after God. Age 20, look at what I've done. I know it's been a few years, but 26 now, I'm cleaning out the temple. I've been doing pretty well, but that wasn't his attitude when the Bible was read. You know what his attitude is? What does God say? And what do I need to do? Wow, wouldn't it be great to have people who just always come ready to say, what does God have for me today? What does God want me to know? So he read, he repented when needed. He responded quickly. This is great. The king commanded Hilkiah and Ahikam, verse 20, the son of, yeah, all these different guys. He said, verse 21, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for them that are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do after all that is written in this book. He said, our fathers haven't, we haven't, and we need to change. He responded quickly. 
So he sent someone to get answers from God. Now, I'm thankful for this. We don't have to send someone to get answers for God, from God. We already have a complete Bible that tells us all that we need to know for life and godliness. So we can dig into the word of God. Sometimes we might need to ask counsel and guidance. Like, I understand I'm not doing what the Bible says. Give me some help. And that's good. And there's Christians who can help Christians live for God. And we ought to be willing to seek their help. But that's what he does. He just says, I got to find out now. This is what the Bible says. We're not doing it. I got to find out what I need to do. He repented when needed. He responded quickly. He publicly revealed his intentions. Now, I don't have time to read it all through, but go to verse 29. Because all this happens and he finds out that, yeah, God's wrath is coming, but you have lived for God and that's a good thing. And it says in verse 29, the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. All right, so Bible's been read. He, he repents. He tears his clothes saying, I have sinned and we are wrong before God. He seeks answers to find out. He gets them. And in verse 29, he gathers all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up into the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah in verse 30 and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites and all the people, great and small. And get this. He read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant that was found in the house of the Lord. You know, he didn't say to the scribe, he didn't say to the priest, you go ahead and read the Bible now. You know what Josiah did? He said, I'm going to read to you what I have just heard read to me from God's word. I want you to know what God says. And he shared it with the people. And look at verse 30. And the king stood in his place and he made a covenant before the Lord. He said, okay, Lord, I am going to live for you. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to serve you. I make that promise. And here's a guy who was willing to make his decision public. Oh, you don't hear about that anymore. Invitations are becoming so much more of a Did anyone make a decision this week? I'm not going to tell anyone what it was. Because if I tell someone what it was, then they might actually hold me to account. And here's a guy who said, this is the decision I'm making. I want everyone to know. Here's what God says. So, Lord, I'm going to serve you. Isn't that an amazing thing? I don't know. I don't know about you, but th- those days are oh, almost seem like they're gone. Today, today we have invitations, but we just make it as private, personal as possible. Go ahead and pray. Don't ever tell anyone you made a decision, because then if you don't do anything, no one will know. And 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 here was a guy who who didn't care. Who said, people. God's spoken to me from his word. So I would just want you to know this. I'm going to live for the Lord. Lord, before God, I want you to know I'm going to live for you. And he makes that. Uh, he made a covenant to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, with all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant which are written in this book. And, and what's, what's great, in verse 32, he caused all that were present in Jerusalem and Benj- Benjamin to stand to it. So after he made that decision personally, he says, all right, who's going to join me? Who's joining me? Stand up. And it seems like there was a great revival there because the people did. They were willing to say, you know, if the king is willing to do that and he's willing to, to put his neck on the line and say, I'm going to live for God, I'm going to do the same thing. Wow. I'll tell you something. This, is, this actually pictures Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 when God called upon the churches to get things right with him. This pictures Romans 12, 1 and 2. This pictures uh, Ephesians chapter 4, which talks about a Christian not living like the Gentiles live, 
but putting off the things that are wrong and putting on the things that are right, putting off stealing and, 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 uh, and putting off lying and speaking the truth and uh, putting away bitterness and wrath and putting on forgiveness. I mean, it's, it's, all, it's all found so often in the Bible. He did exactly what God calls upon people to do, to say, I'm going to live for God. And I don't care if everyone knows it. I'm going to stand here and say, I'm going to live for God. And I love this. Not only did he publicly reveal his intentions, but he removed what was wrong in his life. We find that actually in verse 33. He continued to do that which was right, and he called upon everyone to follow him, follow him in doing that. So let me give you the public challenge, and we're going to close, all right? Josiah took these basic steps, and they really are the process of revival. Here's what it is. Purposing in your heart that you're going to please or pursue God, and if you haven't done that or if this past week you made that decision, if you made the decision, great. If you haven't, it's time to make it today. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to make my life count. I don't care if you're eight years old. I don't care if you're 80 years old. doesn't matter. You still need to make that decision. You need to live for God. So purpose. Then progress. Listen to God. Respond when you find your life is not in line with Bible truth. Get into the Bible. Read the Bible. When God speaks to you, respond to, quickly to the truth you find by repentance like he did. Rent his clothes. And then, um, and then uh, do something about it. Recommit yourself to do what you ought openly and diligently. And then begin removing the things that are wrong. Verse 33. And begin walking in a way that pleases God. That's what it is. That's what Christian living is all about. And that's what needs to take place now. If you've been part of the revival and God's worked in your heart. If you haven't, but God worked in your heart today because you saw a guy who made that decision, then now is the time for you to make a decision, hey, I'm going to walk with God and I'm going to make progress. If an eight-year-old guy can do it, I can. If a 16-year-old can live for God, I will. If a 20-year-old is going to make step, take steps to live for God and make progress in his life, then I can do the same thing. And today, God calls on you to do that. Josiah is a wonderful example for us to learn from, to follow. And God gave these examples in the Old Testament to picture Bible truth for us so we might know what to do, what not to do. And today, it's what to do. And I hope you'll respond to it. But look, let me tell you something. You can't do anything to please God unless you're part of his family first. You need to be saved. You need to come to the realization, I'm a sinner. I'm not part of the family of God because of my sin. But I want to become part of the family of God. And you need to realize Jesus died for your sins. And you need to receive the gift of eternal life he offers by faith. As many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And once you become part of his family, then what God wants are steps, progress in your Christian life where you begin seeking after God. Are you seeking him? Are changes taking place? Maybe have you stagnated in your Christian life? Then, then there's no better day than today. And if you would, in, in the picture, rend your clothes. Don't rip them now, okay? Rend your clothes. Rend your heart. Begin to take the steps that God wants you to take so you might please him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.